This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, August 4th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. When agents of the state violate your rights, your ability to sue in civil court hinges critically on qualified immunity. Just how hard is it to overcome the shield that qualified immunity provides? I spoke with Institute for Justice attorney Patrick Giacomo about the largely insurmountable hurdle that the doctrine provides and a new tool that they've developed that shows just how immune government agents are against liability. When somebody's rights have been violated by an agent of the state, that could be a police officer, it could be uh, some sort of government inspector, it could be a public school administrator or a teacher or somebody who works in the public sector or on behalf of the state. Um, When they violate your rights and they're, for the most part, there usually aren't charges filed in those cases. But if you wanted to go a step further and say this person violated my rights, I have uh, under federal law and a few state laws, I have an action that I can take in civil court. Um, what do you have to overcome in order to get that case to go anywhere? You have to overcome qualified immunity. Uh, which is something obviously that we've talked about quite a bit in the civil rights space here for the last few years in particular. Um, But the the rub here is that qualified immunity, which was created by the Supreme Court in 1982 for policy reasons, requires not any sort of common sense application of the law or any sort of consideration of the constitutional merits of what happened to you, but it simply requires you as the plaintiff, the person whose rights were violated, to establish that what happened to you violated clearly established law, which on its face sounds not unreasonable. But what that actually means today is that you have to be able to point to an earlier case by an appellate court where you live that specifically says what happened to you is unconstitutional. And so this analysis ends up uh, boiling down to very fact-specific considerations. So literally, we've seen cases where— And meaningless facts, let's be honest. Absolutely. Meaningless facts that clearly aren't in the heads of the police officers or the school administrators or the mayors when they're violating your rights. Because even as someone like me who is constantly reading civil rights decisions from courts across the country, I can't keep up with every jot and tittle of you know what specific facts are clearly established as they go. So police officers certainly can't and don't keep up with these things. Um, but but the distinctions that we've we've seen are things as small as, well, you know, in your case, the, po- the police officer's dog bit you while you were sitting on the ground. In the earlier case that you cite, the, uh, the plaintiff was laying on the ground. So it's not the same thing. Or, uh, you know, a, a prison guard who pepper sprays an inmate claims qualified immunity and the inmate points to an earlier case where a prison guard tased or beat someone with their fists. And the court says, well, tasing and pepper spraying are not the same thing. And uh, it's also worth noting here that the facts of your case could be demonstrably worse than the facts of the case that you might point to to say this is clearly established law. Yeah, and that's the real shocker is we see that type of analysis engaged in by courts where a court will say, well, in the earlier case, the plaintiff was only handcuffed. And in your case, you were put in a chokehold. So because of that, the cases are sufficiently different that it wouldn't put the officers on notice, which again is a fallacy because we don't think police officers are reading all of the newest circuit court decisions where they're operating. All right. So uh, you put together uh, sort of a helpful tool for people to to figure out if they can overcome the hurdles that the Supreme Court uh, put in place when they 
created, as Clark Neely likes to say, out of whole cloth, this notion of qualified immunity. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we started thinking, you know, if if what you need to overcome this made up and arbitrary doctrine is statements of clearly established law, then we should put together a way to for someone to easily identify where they live, what laws have been clearly established. That way they can or their attorneys can at least look and see, like, can I make a colorable argument here? How difficult will it be to overcome qualified immunity with the hope that we can sort of eliminate the enormous information asymmetry that exists currently in the system? And so what we did uh, through a lot of effort over about two years and championed by uh, IJ attorney Marie Miller was accumulate as best we could, every statement of clearly established law in the country going back as far as the courts go back. And so what we did to make that user-friendly and easy is if people go to ij.org GPA, they can click on their state and then just answer a few simple questions and hit go. It will return all of the potential statements of clearly established law that are applicable in that jurisdiction. So just to give you an example, you know, if you're roughed up by the police and you live in New Mexico, you can go to the website, click on New Mexico, answer the circumstances surrounding how you were beat up, and that will turn back all of the statements of clearly established law, qu- quotations from court decisions, citations to those decisions, and that will get you started overcoming qualified immunity. All right. Um, the Supreme Court appears to have no interest in this. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the only sitting Supreme Court justice who has made any kind of gesture toward accepting a case uh, on qualified immunity is Justice Thomas. Um, is there anything uh, – what gives you hope? Okay, so I am still hopeful and I am, uh, you know, as a civil rights attorney who litigates against the government, I guess, terminally optimistic to keep doing this because in any in any space, it's always an uphill climb. Uh, Justice Sotomayor has also made statements um, critical of qualified immunity, although she did not join Justice Thomas's latest um, statement or provide a statement of her own. Uh, I think the the things that give me and the Institute for Justice hope are that just a couple years ago now, the Supreme Court did take a pretty substantial step deciding a case called Taylor versus Riojas involving horrific prison conditions where the court for the first time ever actually applied an obviousness exception to qualified immunity where it said, hey, we don't care if there's not an earlier case saying you can't keep someone in a feces covered freezing cold jail cell for six days. You knew you couldn't do that and any reasonable person would know you can't do that. And as as even though that seems like a small thing, the Supreme Court's history with qualified immunity has been so incredibly one-sided. The fact that they did anything remotely positive indicates that they are at least willing around the edges to recalibrate the doctrine. And I think that's especially true uh, outside the context of police uses of force. And so the court has been fairly protective of the First Amendment in general, which I think tells us that they would be interested in taking up a case that involves the First Amendment or taking up cases where a non-police government official is doing something unconstitutional. Yeah, that the the focus for so long has been on police. And um, I think that's it's possible that that's to the detriment of the effort to eliminate qualified immunity. Right. I, could, I couldn't agree more. I think it's very frustrating to see um, a lot of groups that have their heart in the right place making this a police-only issue because then you run into this whole you know, basket of ideas about the importance of policing and 
the leeway that police need to have. In, and, and that obscures the fact that qualified immunity protects all government workers by default. Police are just one type of government worker. Anyone who has the power of the government can violate your constitutional rights and qualified immunity shields all of them. And to the point we were talking about earlier, outside of policing, qualified immunity is much more likely to be applied because the circumstances are going to be necessarily novel. There are a lot of cases where police have used excessive force. A lot of different circumstances have been considered by courts. But there aren't a lot of cases, for instance, where maybe a CPS worker hits a mother while the person's doing an in-home uh, visit or uh, circumstances where a mayor is retaliating against a small business in his jurisdiction. Or a school administrator strips as a student within view of uh, a lunchroom. Exactly. That's exactly right. And, and Caleb's talking about an actual decision where qualified immunity was applied. But to, to bring this to reality, you know, we actually have a case pending on certiorari right now in the Supreme Court um, called Central, uh, Central Specialties Incorporated versus Large, where a county engineer in a small town in Minnesota had a bone to pick uh, with our client, who's a family-run road construction company. And he created the situation where he lowered the weight limits on roads such that even empty trucks on them would violate the weight limits, knowing that our clients would be driving trucks on these roads. And when they did, he, again, a county engineer, not a police officer, pulled over these trucks and kept them detained on the side of the road for three hours while he tried to get police to come from any jurisdiction and cite uh, our clients. And so the local police said, no, you're wasting our time. The tribal police said, we're tribal police. This has nothing to do with our jurisdiction. Uh, and the state police finally sent someone out who wrote a ticket that was ripped up the next day. And to this point of school administrators or mayors more likely being able to qu claim qualified immunity because there are fewer statements of clearly established law, here what the Eighth Circuit said was, this guy is a county engineer he was acting outside the scope of his authority. He admits that himself. He had no authority to detain, uh, to do traffic stops and essentially LARP as a police officer. But there's no case in the Eighth Circuit that specifically says a county engineer can't pull cars over and detain them on the side of the road. Therefore, this county engineer gets qualified immunity. And so the more you act way outside the potential scope of what you're supposed to be doing, the much more likely it will be that there's not a case earlier to provide clearly established law and that you will get qualified immunity. And so that's what this case is about practically. Why is this case something that you think has legs? Yeah. So as we said, the, the Supreme Court has been reluctant to just take on qualified immunity writ large. But here now, we have a split in the circuits where the 8th and 10th circuits, so essentially the plain states, this giant chunk of states all the way from Canada to Mexico, has allowed government workers to claim qualified immunity even if they're doing something that's outside of their job duties. So in this case, a county engineer acting as a cop. In other cases, for instance, uh, a prison warden making unilateral end-of-life decisions for prisoners, things like this. The Supreme Court, when it created qualified immunity for policy reasons, said, hey, our policy here is we want government workers essentially to not be afraid when they're doing their job. And so they said, when you're doing your job, you get qualified immunity unless there's clearly established law. But the when you're doing your job part has now been scraped out by the 8th and 10th circuits and just forgotten about. And so that means that qualified immunity is being expanded in a way that I think the Supreme Court's going to be receptive to scaling back given that it and conservatives even have agreed 
this shouldn't be shielded by qualified immunity. It can't just be that I work for the government, therefore I'm immune from liability regardless of what I do. Um, but this is so dangerous because these are the exact types of situations that there aren't going to be clearly established law to push back on qualified immunity. Where is this case right now? This case is currently pending on cert. We filed a cert petition with the Supreme Court. Uh, we have two great amici. Uh, one is a group of law enforcement officers and a professor who is a former prosecutor in Texas. And the other is the sort of legend of the legal ac academy, a professor from Yale named Peter Shuck, who's actually cited in Harlow versus Fitzgerald by the Supreme Court as a justification for creating qualified immunity in the first place. And now he is saying this is not what qualified immunity should shield if it should exist at all. So, yeah, we, we are hopeful that because this is not a police use of force case and because it illustrates such an egregious departure from even the made up policy reasons for qualified immunity, that this is a place where the Supreme Court might be willing to, to, to sort of scale things back. And if it isn't, then, you know, qualified immunity marches forward and keeps getting worse and worse. Patrick Giacomo is an attorney at the Institute for Justice. We spoke last week. Please give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.